Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 113, yes, 113 of the Citrix Session. I am your host, or one of your hosts today, uh, Bill Sutton. Uh, our normal host, Andy Whiteside, is is uh, unavailable, so we're going to do, I'm going to do this in his absence, along with a few uh, few Citrites and a couple of other folks that will be able to help us. So uh, along with me today is Jeremy Myers. Jeremy, you want to say hello to the group, please? Hello, gang. It's Jeremy, and there's Todd. There's yep. Todd sneaking. Todd, Todd just joined. We were wondering if Todd was going to make it. So, Todd, you got me this morning. So, uh, just say hello, if you would, please. Hey, guys. Thanks for. Uh, I'm sorry, I was a little bit late. I'm glad to uh, glad to join you guys today. Great you still day. licking some wounds over the Patriots yesterday? Let's just get that out. There. I I am. <laughs> I, you know, uh, and to make matters worse, I flipped over from the Patriots game to to watch my Bengals losing overtime against the uh the Steelers so it was 0 for 2 yesterday I don't think anyone wanted to win that game when I when I think about it <laughs> uh they did everything possible they, they, they clanked a field goal off of the upright they uh and I won't go into the whole whether Jamar Chase had a, his feet in bounds or not on the touchdown that was not a touchdown so anyway. yeah very good. Also on the call today is um, is Patrick Coble with VDI Sec. Patrick, do you want to say hello? Howdy, howdy. Yep, I'm Patrick. I'm uh, the uh, security nerd over at VDI Sec, and I, I'm staring at group policies and Cisco Secure Endpoint right now. It's pretty exciting. Sounds like it. Yeah, we were remarking. Uh, I think I'd go bleary eyed if I had to look at that many GPOs. But that's your life, right, Patrick? Yeah. Make reports. Make reports. Yeah. Very good. All right, so let me share my screen for those that might be following this, um, the video portion of this. Um, so what we're going to cover today is uh, this blog article by Dimitri Petropoulos. I probably said that wrong, but nevertheless, it's entitled Deliver Enterprise Web Apps with Citrix Workspace Browser. So I think a lot of a lot of folks that are listening to this call might be traditional uh, Citrix virtual apps and desktops or Citrix DAS users and the days of publishing the browser and and uh, enabling customers to access individual applications through a published browser, we can absolutely still do this. Uh, they may not be aware of this. Um, this is actually, as I understand it, and I don't want to get ahead of us, but as I understand it, this is included in the Workspace app um, now when you install it. Uh, whether it's enabled or whether you can get access to it, I will talk about that as we get through this. So, before we get started, guys, any general high-level comments about this concept before we start going through the blog? Um, you know, so the fun fact that we always, I'd say we always, but that routinely comes up in, you know, synergy sessions and meetups and just customer conversations is, well, you know, what's the number one app that's been delivered historically using okay. ZenApp, Metaframe, CVAD, whatever you want to call it, whatever iteration you've got, you know, it's a long time, it's just been a browser, Right. For a couple of different reasons, you know, the first one just it makes sense if you've got an internal web app and you're trying to keep the user, or number one, just try to keep it protected. You know, you can insert all that security control around the browser, uh, which has been excellent. And in some cases, it just makes the performance much better, right? So, the alternative has been maybe spin up a VPN, especially if you didn't want to publicly ex expose that internal web app. Right. Um, you're doing it across a VPN, maybe the performance is a little. You know, it could be a little sluggish, just depends. But, you know, that's been the number one use case for a long time. And so this is just sort of an iteration of it. That's um, pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, I, I was going to say that uh, that that absolutely is the way we we used to see it done. But uh, today, with the prevalence of SaaS based applications, 
Uh, we still have customers that are publishing the browser to get to the SaaS app for a, from a security perspective, perhaps, or perhaps authentication, um, those sorts of things. But it, it, in some cases, it may not make sense to do that anymore. And this, this provides an alternative. Is that right, Todd? Yeah, it does. And, you know, I think one of the challenges that everyone's had with publishing those browsers, the reason why they were doing it is because uh, all of the plugins and the policies that needed to be set on a browser by browser basis, and those were driven by the application requirements. So, uh, you know, I had a healthcare customer years ago that they had over a thousand different instances of a browser being published because uh, this application worked better in or this, this service or app worked better in IE than it did on Safari. Right. Um, but you had to have IE that had the following plugins. It had to have a certain version of the .NET framework. It had to have, you know, uh, restrictions put in there, right? So instead of having to go and do that on an individual app-by-app -app basis, what if we could actually give you a browser uh, that had one single place to manage your policies, just like you do in Zen app or in Citrix virtual apps. And so that's where, that's what this is, right? Yep. In a sense. So um, let's talk briefly about the, the browser itself. You kind of touched on it there a little bit, the ability to set policies and, um, and enable elements of the browser remotely. I, I think when it comes to those, uh, those plugins and those add-ins that we saw back in the day, I think the, with the advent of HTML5 many years ago, that a lot of that's gone by the wayside, not entirely. We still see them, particularly in older legacy apps that make sense to publish a browser and have those available for the user. But I don't, I don't, would you, you guys agree, maybe Patrick, that those are largely, we don't see them as frequently as we used to? Yeah, I mean, for sure. And I mean, to this, this is the big one because when I do audits and pen tests, mm -hmm. browsers and email clients are pretty much the top two worst applications you can have deployed uh, on a regular computer or in a virtual desktop. And it their security is paramount because that is the tip of the spearfish, right? Uh, and since social engineering and those emails and those malicious web links are the bane of our existence in some cases, uh, it's really, really important to have some type of solution to this because when I do a lot of audits, most people browser settings are like default, default, not even blocking <laughs> any third party scripts or or cookies or anything. And so when you use a service like Citrix browser, then you are taking that traffic and number one, making it originate outside of your data center, right? It doesn't look like it kind of came from you anymore. And number two, you're getting visibility, visibility analytics and controlled lockdown to it, right? So it's it's purpose-built for that. So I, I dig it. Yeah. And, and I think to, to Patrick's point, I, I think for the past multiple years, uh, we have trained users to just go and add you know, say yes to when a plugin tries to uh, get installed. Um, so the user behavior has driven kind of this this need to put better controls over browsers and email clients and things like that. So uh, this is one step in the one step in securing our environment without degrading the user experience. Yeah, absolutely. So um, one thing to kind of point out here, it's in the blog itself. This is a this is a, like a lot of the more common browsers we're seeing today. It's a Chromium based browser, but it's really more enterprise. It is enterprise focused uh, with security as a as a, a clear um, strategy for for 
creating this. Runs on Windows and Mac uh, and can run on managed and, and unmanaged uh, devices. So let's talk a little bit about some of the features of this. Um, Jeremy, you want to take the first one there or first couple maybe? Um, sure. Yeah. So I, I think the, the big thing to understand is this is a browser that is installed locally, runs locally on your endpoint, right? Um, it, it comes installed with the Workspace app. So if you, you might even know what it's actually installed. Um, so it is a part of a Workspace app. Um, it can be launched one of two different ways. So if you're a customer uh, with secure private access, that feature, and you launch a web app and that web app has been configured to use you know, some of that security, it'll automatically launch the, uh, the enterprise browser. And what's interesting, and I didn't realize this until two weeks ago, so that tells you how far out of the loop I can be at times, is um, you can actually launch it on its own. I was like, man, this is a Chromium-based browser. It's really fast, right? You know, so you know, I can't sync it with Google and get all of my plugins and do doodads to go along with it. So it's actually a pretty slim and, and light browser. Uh, but you can go into the, the system tray, right-click and actually say, open, go look for your Citrix Workspace app and actually right-click and go open Citrix Workspace browser. And there you go, just pretty slick, but there you go. Mm -hmm. yep. And there it is. Yep, I discovered that actually when I was reading this article this morning, Jeremy, I, I was curious. So mm -hmm. I went to the Workspace app, right clicked on it and sure enough, there it was. So um, it's pretty interesting. So, uh, I mean, I will, so let me, uh, so I'll tell you what my use case originally was and it, it dovetails into number two this here. So I don't know who's, who's thunder I'm gonna steal here, but um, you know, I find myself, so we have published apps out of Workspace that when I launch, they will launch in this enterprise browser, which is awesome. But then I found myself going, there are other internal websites that I need to access that aren't published, right? So we have all sorts of stuff with a, you know, based on our internal domain name, Tableau, whatever, right? We just have things. And so my thought was, man, I would love to just launch the browser and type in, you know, whatever these internal links are because I get clientless access into them. It's phenomenal. So um, that, that ended up being my use case. And it's really quick. Like that clientless access is is pretty smoking fast, actually. Yeah, and that, um, correct me if I'm wrong, it, that's that's kind of where uh, secure private access comes into play here. That's what, is that what's working on the back end here? Uh, it's, or a VPN, or I guess technically it's not a VPN, uh, but that's how you're getting access from your, your local browser to that back end resource is through workspace mm -hmm. or private access, is that right? That's correct, that's correct, yep. So one thing I didn't realize is the, the third bullet here, contextual, contextually applied data loss prevention controls. Um, Todd, can you take that one? Talk a little bit about that yeah. one. Yeah, so, so the DLP controls that have been around with Citrix for forever, um, you know, is really controlling clipboard access, right? Being able to reduce the ability to cut and paste, uh, being able to restrict uploads and downloads, being able to uh, do watermarking and watermarking on a web-based application. That's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty huge thing. And then being able, being able to also uh, prevent screen capture and main or uh, inhibit or main limit uh, printing capabilities and things like that. Those are all things. Those are all control mechanisms that people have really grown attached to in a Zen app environment. And as you know, if, if I were to put my security hat back on, it would be around things like, how do I make sure that regardless of where the app resides, whether it's internal or whether it's sitting out as and delivered through SaaS or delivered as a web app, I wanna have a consistency across my entire security posture. So I'm not making these exemptions based on 
you know, how I'm delivering the application. I need to be able to go and show to an auditor how we're, how effective our controls are. Because it's one thing to have the control. It's another thing to have it deemed or judged as being effective. Yes, absolutely. So it indicates here keystroke logger protection to prevent malware. So we've got the the, uh, the keystroke logger piece included as well as web filtering. Who wants to talk about those? Yeah, so this keystroke logger, I mean, that's a part of our app protection package. Right. Again, that's another piece that's just a part of Workspace app as well. So if you've got that enabled and you've got that policy turned on, so as a user is typing in, you know, first of all, you should understand that when we're using a workspace app and we have that tied with secure private access, you know, we can we can enable and configure single sign-on into certain you know web apps, right? And we can do it on a per web app basis. Um, but let's just say that you know you're sending folks to a website where they actually have to type some credentials in, right? So part of that app protection package is a keystroke logging, you know, mitigator, right? So if you've got, especially on like a BIO type device, you know, so maybe you've got something installed, maybe you got a keylogger installed. You know, we're actually protecting against that. So as that keylogger is attempting to, you know, capture the credentials you're typing into that protected browser, um, the app protection policy is actually, uh, I can't ever say this word, obfuscating that text. Yep. So that doesn't feed into the browser. In fact, you can see it real time. We do a demo where you can kind of see what the output of the keylogger is, and it has nothing to do with what you're typing into the browser, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, that's a, that's incredible. So then the last one here that I've got highlighted uh, this this kind of in some ways is a throwback, but this is really about controlling where users can and cannot go, right? And what they can and cannot see using your enterprise browser. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, think, I think with the web filtering aspect of it, you know, there, there's so many different solutions that are out there to help block people's access or restrict access uh, to the URLs that are out there. Um, you know, th this is this is something that we can do on the Citrix level, um, and you could also do it on the networking level. You could do it on a you know as part of your firewall services. I mean, there's so many different ways to restrict access to URLs. The challenge sometimes is: Do I block it on the URL? Do I block it on the IP address? Do I block it on something that's familiar, or do I block out an entire category of sites? Um, which in some cases that makes that makes sense. Um, you know, we, we've run into this an awful lot in the education space, yeah. where you're blocking out and providing web filtering, and the education institutions are starting to say, "Hey, we need to block it out," um, and it has to be done on an individual basis because a student that is taking a certain course load, they may have legitimate reasons to access some sites that talk about you know, different topics and other ones that they, that they don't need to be blocked or that they, that they need to have blocked out. So um, it's becoming more and more prevalent that, it, that institutions that are providing internet access to their, not only their employees, but their guests and customers have to have some type of filtering and some type of blocking mechanism in place. Yeah. And when you take that, I think when you take this, these six or so bullets or five bullets here and, and kind of wrap them around the, the whole security story, I mean, we'll talk a little bit more about kind of what enables all of this to some degree in, in a minute. But this is really focused on access to apps that they need, as well as security around data, around around access locally versus remotely. A lot of the things that we talked about, uh, we talked about VDI and, and session hosted 
the security around those, a lot of these things are what we've what we've known for years, and now we're bringing these to the endpoint, and you know, as a real solution, right? So what about this this last paragraph here? Workspace browser says can take advantage of adaptive authentication. Talk to me a little bit about what that means. So for our audience and for me. So you know, so there's actually two pieces to this. So there's the adaptive authentication piece itself, which is, you know, when I'm trying to log into workspace for the first time, um, you know, it'll it'll prompt me based on maybe the group I'm in, maybe the security you know, the security posture that I've got, maybe the endpoint I'm on. Corporate okay. managed BYOD. I can I can sort of give you a different level of access, a tiered level of access, depending on that context. Um, this can also be tied into the analytics service. So based on maybe a risk score that represents you, Bill, um, maybe we provide different levels of access as well. Maybe we turn on secure certain security policies based on you know, that access. So for instance, you know, Bill, I don't trust you. Right, you're coming from you know, a personal device. And maybe that hasn't been a problem in the past, but maybe you checked enough, you know, boxes to where your risk score inside our analytics service is so high that we've said, you know, you're going to, you're going to launch this web app. that's going to have certain policies in, enabled, or maybe we'll turn it off for you. Right. And so all of these mechanisms, all these security policies can be applied to any of these web apps, even if they're running locally on the workspace browser. Right. So it's just, this is a different approach here. It's basically taking those policies that we traditionally applied to CVAD and running them on a local local browser. Mm -hmm. Yep. So when I when I read this initially, I thought when I saw adaptive authentication, the first thing that came to mind was MFA. But as you just described it, this is the the the, the policy based enforcement mm -hmm. that that's more contextual. Like it says that in there, but yep. more contextual. Like you said, it, it it's interrogating me as an individual, my location, the device I'm on, all of those things that we could do, all that goodness we used to be able to do between storefront and Netscaler, and being able to say if you're coming from a trusted device or trusted IP, you get access to these apps, or even or maybe you get access to all the apps, but you can't print, you can't copy from the clipboard. You, you can't do various other things. So we're bringing all this really down to the endpoint level now, right? Yeah, that's that's that dimmer switch where you yeah. can have contextual and control ac controlled access right. for who you need it, when you need it, you know, instead of everyone on, everyone off, which is the policies of olden days. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and I think, Bill, I think the, I think the, the challenge that a lot of organizations are having uh, is when it comes to security and especially adaptive authentication, um, it's all contextual, right? So think of it as if you're going to a bar or a nightclub, right? You have the bouncer that's at the door who's checking your ID and making sure that you're allowed to get in. They're maybe checking you for weapons or bringing in additional additional free alcohol and stuff like that, right? So there's someone who's protecting your access in. Right. And then inside the bar, you have bouncers or, or bodyguards, right? Who are protecting the assets depending on where you are and what you're doing. And then the third piece of it is really, you know, Every every bar and nightclub has has camera systems that are monitoring, you know, the back offices and the cash registers and things like that that are high value, but they don't want to have someone dedicated to watching that. So that's more of the analytics service. And you put all three of these together and you have a higher security posture and a higher security stance, and you're reducing your overall risk and your liabilities based on the fact that you've got a multi-factor approach or multi-pronged approach towards providing better security around your entire environment. This is very similar to what we're doing uh, with our zero trust approach. Right, which leads in 
very appropriately to the next section here, which is a discussion about ZTNA or zero trust network access um, and secure and private access, which is um, which is which includes the workspace browser. So I think um, one of you guys want to correct me here, but I think a lot of the policy and adaptive auth and other elements that are that apply to the workspace browser are enabled by, by virtue of C SPA. Is that is that an accurate statement? That is accurate. Yeah, you're spot on. So that is the what's interesting, and this kind of rolls right into it is, you know, compared to Citrix's lineage of virtual apps and desktops, DAS, you know, those sorts of things, um, it's a pretty lightweight solution as well, right? It doesn't require much on the endpoint. Um, there's no VDI, DAS, CVAD, MetaFrame type infrastructure required, required on the back end. Um, and, and the thing about that is there's no licensing involved there either, right? So you think about Windows 10 licensing and RDS licensing and server licensing and all those sorts of things, um, you know, from a licensing, from an infrastructure perspective, it's very lightweight, right? And so it's all it's all delivered from Citrix Cloud. That's what it is. It's a new newer service. Yeah. So to, to create the policy enforcement rules, if you will, it's that's handled in the cloud by SPA, right? You're, you're configuring things. The, you know the the enabling or disabling of clipboard, the enabling is disabling of watermarking. All of that is being handled by SPA in the cloud and being pushed down to the to the endpoint to some degree. Is that accurate? Yep, that's correct. That's correct. You got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but what I what I we'll skip over the next paragraph, but the third paragraph in this section really talks about complementing the existing DAS environment. And this I think is key, and I think it gets lost a lot of times as we talk about we compartmentalize. I mean, because of our history and our knowledge of, of what Citrix has done over the years. Here we have DAS and we're publishing a browser. That's great, and that's going to give us all this goodness. Now we have something on the endpoint, but we we uh, we talk about them kind of in a vacuum and really when you put the two together, you really get the best of both worlds. You really do, even though that's a that's kind of a uh, you know cliche, um, in the sense that the user that that workspace app becomes the the home, if you will, for access mm -hmm. to everything. They they need access to a, an application that needs to be highly secure, and and it's a client server app that's very chatty. You do that via a published app, maybe, or if you need access to a VDI desk, full blown Windows 10 desktop, you do that via VDI. If you need access to a SaaS app that, with the type of security that we're talking about, or even without it, um, you you can leverage the same framework and you click on that icon within your workspace app, and it launches the local browser and goes about its business. It's mm -hmm. completely transparent to the user. So. I see that as as really a key benefit. Uh, you will have some customers that just want to do DAS. You'll have some customers that just want to do SPA, but you'll have a lot, I think, that will want to do both. What do you think? I mean, I think as, um, as administrators, we focus in on the mechanics of the back end, right? We, right? we think about the DAS infrastructure. We think about what it takes to deliver, you know, a secure private access infrastructure. You know, all these things are services in the cloud, right? And But they're all managed, you know, the, the, the those applications maybe come from different places, right? But at the end of the day, from a user perspective, you know, what we want to present to a user is one portal mm -hmm. that has every type of application that you would need front and center, right? So it's not up to the user to figure out, all right, this is a virtual app. All right, I got to go to my Citrix infrastructure, right? And oh, by the way, I have these web pages I need to hit. These, I go to Salesforce, all right, now let me, let me pull up Edge and go log into that and figure that out, right? And then I've got this internal web app that maybe I'm going to a, a Citrix app for, maybe I'm publishing Google Chrome, or maybe I'm doing that across a VPN. Like that is cumbersome for an end user to do. So the idea is let's make a simplified portal 
that just gives you all of it, right? And wherever it's located and however it's delivered and whatever app it's required, just I'm just clicking a button. That's it. And exactly. you know, so so it's it's really the tale of two stories here, right? So it's fun for me to pick apart exactly where my resources sit and what cloud they're on and how my authentication works. But I mean, this is all for the users, right? I want to click a button and just have it work. That's all yeah, I care about. At the end of the day, the user doesn't really care about they don't care how it's running or they just need to get access to their information and keep moving on, right? And on top of that, I think Patrick would say he would use a word called frictionless security, right? So, you know, when this is all said and done, we want the security to be there, but basically transparent. We just want it to be on without a user really having to interact with it. And so that's the whole idea of frictionless security. And that is one of the underpinnings of all of this is making it simple yet secure. Exactly. I was going to pass it over to Patrick to get his thoughts on some of this. So we, we've kind of, kind of, you kind of been quiet over there in those GPOs. So what are you, what are your thoughts here? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think it's, it's dead on is we always with all security policies that control have to find that balance of like usability, securability. And sometimes it means we have to be able to adjust that, that dimmer knob, but mm-hmm. also to be able to have that kind of visibility that solutions like this bring um, that otherwise wouldn't be there. Um, and so that's what uh, makes me excited about seeing stuff like this is seeing uh, the possibilities of doing it. The only thing I do in my hacker brain uh, is I think of all the cool ways you can subvert this too. So uh, as an employee, uh, so, but uh, you know, hopefully your normal people aren't doing this kind of stuff. <laughs> so I noticed here the last paragraph in this section that talks about the fact that the that the browser is embedded in the workspace app for iOS and Android. So I thought we might want to touch on that and just uh, emphasize that as well. So this is not limited to um, not limited to just a workspace app on a on a on an endpoint or you know a full blown PC. This uh, it's also included within the the mobile uh, workspace apps as well. Yeah, and I think the so so with Bill on this one. You know the the movement away from having to manage the device, the endpoint device, especially these mobile devices, and still be able to control the application itself. I mean, you know, it's the MDM versus MAM conversation, right? Uh, yeah. uh, there, there's not a lot of value sometimes in managing the device itself. It's managing the access and what the person can do on that device. Uh, and specifically what applications and data they have access to. So, so it really kind of uh, addresses some of the critical uh, security risks that people are having, especially around mobile devices. They want to have, and they're just adding it in as yet another endpoint that can be that a user interacts with to get to their application and their data and have that same consistent level of security and control. Um, and, you know, if you have security and control, you're also going to be able to talk about things like experience and reliability. Right. Absolutely. So the last section here talks about the uh, secure browser service. So um, someone want to explain what that is and, and how that helps security for customers. Sure. So, so the secure browser service is really for organizations that don't want to have everything backended in into their environment, right? So you don't want to have it uh, using services that are inside your data center, uh, and it could be for a variety of different reasons. It could be a security risk. It could also be from a cost perspective or a performance perspective. Um, so the secure browser service actually allows you to have the the same capabilities that are in the enterprise browser. 
um, but actually it's hosted as a service delivered by by Citrix. Um, and it actually does things like it allows you to use like an air gap firewall um, between the users and that, that uh, unsafe content. But more importantly, it's like a burner phone. It's like a throwaway browser, right? You once you disconnect from it, it's gone. You don't have anything that's that's that. There's no remnants or footprints in the sand that are left over. Cool. Yeah. Um, so the last section here talks about analytics. Uh, so maybe give a plug there, Jeremy, for the Citrix Analytics for Security Service, the ability to monitor and do a lot of other goodness uh, related to these two solutions. Yeah, yeah. So I, I touched on this a little bit when I told you that I didn't trust you, Bill. But, you know, what's going on under the hood as you're accessing, you know, anything when you're trying to log in, um, you know, anything you're doing that, that involves Citrix, you know, we're, we're capturing data about you, where you're coming from, time of day, activities within your session, things like that. The idea is to be able to basically risk profile you. Are you doing things that are risky? You know, are you logging in from two different locations that just seems impossible, something we call impossible travel? Are you, um, you know, accessing from a new location, a different kind of device, you know, things like that. But anyways, all this data all feeds into the Citrix security analytics engine. And based on that feedback, you know, we can, we can talk about how risky you are to the business, assign you a score. And then based on that score, you know, actually feed that into the context, the, the context engine, right? So we can turn things off and just ensure you have the proper level of access. So maybe we don't, let you have access if you have a certain risk score. Maybe we enable certain kinds of policies if you have a certain risk score. And so, you know, although you can define what those policies are, you know, the risk score is basically machine learning in action, right? It's just taking all that data. Um, it's feeding that into an algorithm that's sort of profiling, if you will. So this much is like why, much like the credit card companies, right? Yeah, I was going to say this is why when I take my laptop and go down to my parents' place down in Chesapeake, it sometimes will ask me to MFA. Yep. certain applications where uh, yep. I use their browser instead of mine to access my bank site. It asks me to MFA or I go to San Francisco for a conference and all of a sudden it realizes that I'm in a different part of the world or part of the country. Um, that That's what a lot of this is doing in the back end is enabling that kind of, that kind of um, behavior, monitoring that behavior and making sure that uh, I am who I say I am and I'm not somebody trying to get in appropriately. And Bill, I think, I think if you look at it, um, you know, we've, we've come to expect that out of our credit card companies, you know, yeah. now traveling back and forth to Canada. Um, I get text messages from the credit card companies saying, Hey, this is the first time you've done a charge in Calgary for a while. Um, is this still you, right? You know, re-authenticate or respond to this text message as an example. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, same thing goes with, you know, when, when we sign on, right? We want that same experience when we're connecting to our corporate networking and our corporate resources, and more importantly, our corporate applications and data. Um, the other piece of it, and, and this is kind of, once again, coming out of my security and IT audit work background, uh, you know, more and more people have to be able to show that their controls that they have in place are actually uh you know, working, right? So are they are they effective controls? And the only way to show effective controls is to show oftentimes, you know, how you're how you're reporting on that. And and there's too much data for someone to go and sift through uh, the log files and things like that. That's the reason why companies like Splunk and some of the other data data aggregators that are out there. But 
as Jeremy said, you know, this is using machine learning to provide real-time information about, you know, what the user risk score is. And you're not having to wait till the next day to find out that you've had a, you've had a, you've had a user that has been uh, behaving in, in a risky manner, right? So they've got some behavior that has changed that elevates their risk of score. So you need to be able to do that in real time and be able to act upon that quickly. And that's one of the things that was one of the benefits of the analytics service. Yep, absolutely. Great. Thanks for that, Todd. Um, Patrick, any any closing words here? We're at the end of the article, so I'll just go around the room and see if anybody has any closing thoughts. No, no. I mean, I think overall, I think everyone that is listening to this needs to think about just to what was said by Todd and having a more advanced uh, instrumentation for there. Uh, I know I deal with a lot of companies and their cybersecurity insurance has gone up drastically over the past couple of years as ransomware payouts have gone up. And if you can't answer yes, that you're looking for unusual at login activity, then that may mean $10,000 or $100,000 more a year. So some of these features that we're looking at, especially when you talk about like analytics on the Citrix side and multi-factor authentication and secure browsers and all the things related to secure browsing, uh, could save you the money that it could cost to buy that license and or implement, right? Um, depending on where you're at and your threat profile. So I think it's important for people to understand these solutions exist and to go kick the tires. Yep. Absolutely. Jeremy, final thoughts? I mean, I'll be honest. I think it's interesting that the enterprise browser has just now in 2022 become a thing. I mean, not just the Citrix enterprise browser, but just you know, considering the risk profile we've had with browsers over the years, and I know there's been sort of different takes on how this should work. I think it's interesting that we're really just now seeing this hit the marketplace, right? Um, for the same reason that Patrick mentioned before, you know, email clients and web browsers are two of the, the tips of the, the spear in terms of, um, you know, phishing, right? So it's it's kind of interesting that we're, we're just now talking about this, but it should be an important part of your application delivery strategy, right? You know, how are you protecting you know, access and that the point of entry, which is interesting. Absolutely. Todd, I'll save you for the, for the last there. Yeah. And, and to add on to, uh, to add on to what Jeremy and Patrick were talking about, you know, this is, <clears throat> you know, the enterprise browser was something in the DAS world, we would solve by giving the user a published or, or a virtual desktop, which was very expensive to maintain. And it was overkill. I mean, it was using a sledgehammer, um, to solve a very basic problem. And, you know, the, the sledgehammer becomes very expensive, very unwieldy, and, you know, it requires a lot of care and feeding to do it. And you don't always need that level of power um, and that cost associated with it. So so the enterprise browser and the, you know, the, the, secure, the secure private access and what we're offering here, what we're talking about has been extremely, not only effective for the user from an experience perspective, but also improves the security and at the right price point. Yeah, I agree completely. I think this is a great move uh, for Citrix uh, to expand into these areas and really improve the security of, of, of uh, end users um, and their organizations. So I appreciate you guys joining us today for the Citrix session. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you again next time. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys.